Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Unheard News, I'm Freddie Sayers. Ever since the fighting started in Ukraine, we've been trying to talk to an official representative of the Russian government, of the government of Vladimir Putin, to understand, at the very least, how they are framing their arguments. Well, it's been a long time coming, but today we are joined by Dmitry Polyansky, who is the first deputy permanent representative from Russia to the United Nations. So he represents the Putin regime to the UN. He joins us from New York. Thank you for talking to Unheard, Mr. Polyansky. Thank you, Freddie. I would just uh, like to correct that I'm representing Russia and not Putin regime to the UN. Let's try and start with the basics here. We, we're talking across such a wide, I suppose you'd call it informational divide when the very definitions are under dispute. Beginning with the basics, is it right what I hear that according to the Russian government, there is no war in Ukraine. That word isn't used. Uh, and actually, there has been no invasion by Russia. Is, is that what the Russian government still maintains? Exactly. Uh, well, my English is not brilliant, of course, but uh, I think that there is a big difference between a war and a special military operation. A war means that we declare this uh, country that is being invaded uh, an enemy state uh, that there is a total war altogether, there is a mobilization, uh, there are overall targets, uh, so it's kind of people-to-people -people war, let's put it this way. So what is the... As for, I'm just, yeah, just as wondering for what, the, what, the, yeah. what the benefit of that distinction is when we see on I, I, TV cameras so you, much. If you don't, if you don't interrupt Please. me, I will, I, will, I will explain to you what's the, what's the difference. As for the special military operation. Special military operation means it, it's a targeted military operation. And we, from the very beginning, from the outset, said that our uh, task was to stop the ongoing war in Donbass, which Ukraine has been waging for eight years already. So our, our task was to uh, demilitarize and uh, denazify uh, Ukraine, first and foremost, because these two factors represented a threat to the republics of Donbass, which we recognized. And also it represented an existential threat to Russia. And uh, with the pace of the military operation, we get more and more proofs that we're, we're absolutely right in estimating the threat uh, like this. So I, didn't, I don't know if it's clear to you the difference that we uh, imply in these two things. So you, yeah. you said that, that it's specifically focused on the Donbass. Is, is that still the case? Obviously, there's been military activity almost throughout the country of Ukraine. Why, why has the that main, happened? The main target was the uh, bringing peace to Donbas, but because of the fact that there, there was and there still is a very significant Ukrainian military uh, group 
situated uh, across uh, near the uh, line of contact uh, with the Donbas republics. Uh, it was absolutely uh, necessary to uh, to limit uh, and to deprive them of uh, of, of military supplies. Uh, to uh, uh, kind of deprive them of the possibility to shell uh, the civilian areas of Donetsk and Lugansk. And to, to, in order to fulfill this task, it was not possible to limit uh, the military, special military operation uh, to kind of specific areas. That's why we had to, uh, we had to uh, target military infrastructure, which we are doing still right now, but in the first days of, of this special military operation, we were especially active. In hitting, uh, in hitting uh, airfields, uh, the um, places where there, where the fuel is uh, is collected, uh, the bases, uh, and all these things. So we had really to kind of weaken uh, this uh, military detachment in Donbas uh, to the extent that they would stop uh, their shellings and they would stop their war against the civilian population in Donbas. So. Uh, target is Donbas always, but without demilitarization and, and denazification of Ukraine, uh, it's not possible to, to bring peace uh, to this region. It's not possible uh, to uh, counter the threat which Ukraine represents to the Russian Federation. Okay, so I'd like to dig into both of those if we could. So we leave the Nazi thing for, for later, but the, the okay. demilitarization, is it your view or is it the view of the Russian government that Donbas is part of Russia? Is that your is that no. the official position? No, absolutely. In which case, why, we, we, why would we recognize you, the, why the is it the responsibility of, of Russia to have a special military operation inside the Donbass? Well, uh, we started this special military operation after we recognized the independence of these two republics, which was declared eight years ago. Uh, by the way, today the Donetsk People's Republic uh, celebrates uh, exactly eight years since the proclamation of independence. At that point of time, we didn't recognize uh, the independence of these uh, two republics. But uh, when the uh, threat from Ukraine became uh, clearer and clearer, and when the numbers of Ukrainian soldiers stationed at the line of contacts uh, became absolutely obvious uh, that it, it represented a threat to these republics, when uh, Ukraine, its political leadership, its diplomatic leadership, uh, blatantly rejected uh, the Minsk agreements, which represented the only international plan for the resolution of crisis in, in Donbass, uh, the east of Ukraine, then we understood that there is absolutely no other option. And by the way, when the West rejected any discussion with us on security guarantees, which it was also part of a, of a bigger picture of the, whole, of the whole situation, then we understood that there is absolutely no other, no other uh, way uh, but to, uh, to hit the uh, Ukrainian military infrastructure. Uh, and on the eve of this, uh, if you roll, roll a little bit back in history, you will find the news that uh, exactly on the eve of this, uh, of the beginning of the special military operation, the, the uh, shellings of civilian infrastructure in Donetsk uh, and Lugansk intensified. And there was a really a big numbers of refugees coming to Russian Federation, hundreds of thousands in, uh, in, in the weekend. You've used in what you just said, the phrase bringing peace to the Donbass. Yeah. I mean... You're an intelligent, highly educated man. Thank you. The, you can't seriously believe that the net effect of the past two months has been to bring peace to the Donbass. Sometimes there is no other solution. Of course, uh, nobody, nobody uh, likes to wage military activities and we would prefer another option, a diplomatic option. But 
uh, there was absolutely no way to stop the war. Did you, did you, a very intelligent and uh, well-educated uh, uh, person, did you uh, know a lot about a war in Donbass for these eight years? I think it was not the picture in on Western media, and there was absolutely different picture. We knew it from refugees that came to Moscow. There, there, there were by this moment about three million of refugees from Donbass. I personally had uh, in my country house a family from Donbass, uh, which uh, escaped from from the shellings of Ukrainian of Ukrainian army. So we knew it from our own experience. Just to be specific, then was it a kind? Is it? Are you framing it as a humanitarian? intervention in some way to to defend the people of Donbass or are you framing it as defending the Russian Federation from a, some sort of military threat which is the rationale I think you can frame it in between because first and foremost of course this was the first uh, the first uh, objective that you mentioned uh, to to save the uh, human, the civilian population of Donbass but in the meantime uh, during the course of our military operation, uh, we discovered things that uh, leave absolutely no doubt that uh, Ukraine was uh, long ago premeditated as part of a proxy war of uh, Western countries against Russia. I think today or yesterday, the official spokesman of Pentagon, I think Mr. Kirby, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he confirmed that uh, the West was preparing Ukraine, it's his, these are his words, was preparing Ukraine for this war for eight years. So he was kind of boasting the fact that Ukraine is capable of waging the war in Russia, but so, he is so yes, he spilled this information. So yeah. specifically, you're asking us to, to believe that Russia thinks that Ukraine was about to invade Russia. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, Ukraine was about to invade Russia, but Ukraine was about to invade uh, Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics. And we discovered these uh, military documents, uh, the originals of these documents uh, in the in the bunkers. Uh, in, the, in the liberated uh, territories, so it was. Uh, I think it was absolutely equal because we made it from the uh, clear from the very outset that this is a red line for us. The start of an offensive in Donbas would be would, it would be casus belli for Russia. So, if we talk about Kiev and some of the action around the country, was the shelling of Kiev and the encirclement or almost encirclement of the capital, and then the apparent retreat from the capital? Is your explanation, again, that it wasn't a retreat and it was all part of a, a master plan to, to distract in one side of the country and it was always planned to retreat? Or what's the official line on that? Uh, was there a encirclement of Kiev? I'm not aware of this. I know that there were Russian troops around because they, they had to be there to uh, distract the uh, military uh, detachments of Ukrainian army. Uh, to uh, to fight them and uh, to uh, to annihilate them. I forgot the English word. The English word for that. It's to try and uh, distract. To, Was that that's the to distract, to distract, and uh, and to neutralize. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's use this word. To neutralize uh, several detachments or uh, powerful detachments detachments of Ukrainian army. There were also tar uh, the target was also to uh, neutralize military infrastructure. Uh, to eliminate a lot of military objects, which we did. Uh, there was never an, a, a task of uh, attacking Kiev and uh, encircling Kiev, because, as you know, there were a lot of visitors coming to Kiev, uh, even at the time when uh, there were there were Russian detachments around. And again, you mentioned shelling Kiev. Uh, I would say that we shelled uh, only with high-precision weapons. We shelled the infrastructure objects, uh, the uh, damage that was caused to, to civilian infrastructure, to, to a large extent, was caused by 
Ukrainian anti-missile defense, and uh, they acknowledged that at some so point. So you're saying there was no change of strategy. There were no the objectives that you planned in Kiev have been met, and that's why you've retreated. Uh, first of all, you don't you, you shouldn't uh, forget that I'm a diplomat. I'm not a military person. So if uh, my leadership has certain military plan, I think I would be the last person with whom they would share it. And it's it's uh, it's uh, absolutely right because uh, I'm not part of the military planning. But I I wonder why people had in mind that uh, we from the very beginning had the uh, objective of uh, capturing Kiev. Uh, I don't think it was the case. The case was to inflict the uh, biggest possible damage and neutralize military infrastructure and uh, military capacities of, of the Ukrainian army. And I think that this objective was absolutely uh, achieved uh, during the initial part of the operation. What about the losses on the Russian side? Uh, estimates range from 15,000 to 25,000 Russian troops uh, that have sadly lost their lives. What is uh, your statement on that? I haven't heard the exact figures for a long time. Uh, the last figure I heard from from Ministry of Defense was something less than 2,000. Uh, I'm not sure it's the actual figure, but I don't have new ones. Uh, I know that the uh, press secretary of our president uh, said the losses were high. But uh, uh, I know that during this uh, this military operation, it's it's normal not to disclose certain information that can be sensitive. Uh, so we'll count. Uh, We're just dealing with such the end. divergence, aren't we, of of the basic facts of on the ground that two thousand to twenty five thousand. It's almost there's almost no point of reference. Let me ask you about something which you. But I, uh, if I if I may yes, just return please. a little bit to the number of losses. I uh, we have the Ukrainian representative here, and I think that the tactics of calculation of uh, alleged Russian losses is very simple. They they simply take the statistics provided by Russian Ministry of Defense about the Ukrainian losses, and which seems which seems to be more or less accurate to us, and then they add uh, two to three thousand people to it, and it's it's normal I picture. Okay. So I don't think it's trustworthy. So okay. le- moving as it were south around the country, members of your administration have talked about uh, an objective of the Russian Federation to establish a land bridge from the main part of Russia all the way along the coast to all the way to Transnistria. Uh, Is that true? Is that the objective? And is that one of the the definitions of success of this operation? Uh, To be frank, I haven't heard uh, official uh, declarations uh, stating this objective. I heard some people saying uh, that uh, this might be the objective. Uh, It wouldn't be wise for us to withdraw from other areas which are already under our control, because otherwise there would be other bloody provocations by by Ukraine and the West. That's what I heard. But again, it's not uh, an official estimate, and I haven't heard any official declarations that our task, task of our military operation, something other anything other than uh, the safety of, uh, of Donbass, because what we need there is to, uh, to uh, annihilate this uh, detachment, the very, very, very reinforced uh, Ukrainian uh, positions, uh, which were created for eight years and which number from 60 to 70,000 soldiers and which continue to shell uh, the uh, Donetsk and Lugansk uh, regions on daily basis, and now they do it with the artillery, uh, so it, it means that even if we push them uh, further, they can still uh, find the means uh, to cover this range and to kill people there. 
Today, several people were killed in Donetsk from shellings. Let me ask you a question which I think you should be able to answer. You're a senior diplomat uh, from Russia. Is there a diplomatic solution to this? Is there a deal that Russia would accept and that you would overnight withdraw from Ukraine? Is there such a deal? Well, I'm a high-ranking diplomat, but I'm not high-ranking, of course, enough uh, to uh, decide such issues. I have uh, an impression that the negotiations that were held in uh, Istanbul on the eve of our uh, withdrawal, uh, again, voluntary withdrawal from uh, certain regions of uh, Kiev region and uh, Chernigov region. So at these negotiations, I think at some, at some point of time, we were close to certain understanding, to certain realistic understanding of Ukraine, of what the situation is. That's what I heard from my colleagues who were participating and in the negotiations. What was that spe specifically, just so we... we that, was, that, was, that was very roughly, that was security guarantees uh, to Ukraine, to neutral Ukraine, not a member of NATO, not a member of alliances, which didn't cover uh, Donetsk, Lugansk regions and Crimea. So uh, it, it meant that Ukraine was kind of ac accepting the uh, status quo, which was before uh, this, the start of the special military operation. But then the Ukrainian... Uh, so just to be clear, that would be a, yeah. a guarantee not to join NATO and the European Union, or are you less bothered about the European Union? I think we were at this point not very uh, worrying about European Union, but the situation has changed uh, after after Mr. Barrell's uh, statement uh, that uh, the, this war should be won on the battleground, and after the fact that the European Union is uh, the leader of uh, deliveries of arms, I think that our position on European Union now is more similar to NATO because we I don't see. see big difference. So you need uh, a, if you're, I may, you're looking yeah. for a guarantee of no membership of NATO or the European Union. And as for the Donbass regions, in this deal, they would be specially administered UN zones, or or would they be no, no, part no, of I Russia? Think, or, what, what? No, they they declared independence, so uh, it's up to them to decide. But I don't th I don't I didn't say that this is the uh, end formula of the deal. So these were the basic parameters, because uh, since from the outset we also spoke about uh, demilitarization and denazification, which is very important. And I don't think that these two uh, objectives would, would be uh, would be put put aside in the at the end of the of the of the road. But it was a good start, and that's why we decided to make this gesture to withdraw the troops from uh, certain regions of Kiev and Chernigov Oblast and uh, regions. And what what did we get uh, in exchange? At this point, I don't see, frankly, no diplomatic possibilities, uh, given the position of Ukraine, given the uh, kind of uh, fueling this uh, conflict uh, by the West. Uh, I don't so see, being a diplomat, if, I need to acknowledge that there is no, no way for diplomacy right so, now. So I guess the next question must be, if there isn't a diplomatic end, what, what is going to happen? What is your, what is your forecast of, of how this plays out now? Well, first of all, we think about provision of security, provision of peaceful life, returning of peaceful life to Donbass. This is long overdue. So we need to secure these areas from Ukrainian shellings. We need to give these people uh, the right to live peacefully, uh, as, as every other peace, uh, peacefully, peaceful uh, I mean, it's a, people. It's a war zone the at the moment, full of Russian troops. It's, it couldn't be further from a peaceful life that you're uh, giving them. They are, this zone is not full of Russian troops. This zone is full of troops of these republics, which was always the case. And the uh, OEC mission was not able to find any Russian troops there, despite all the efforts. So 
uh, don't make a mistake. They are fighting for their land, and they will continue so you, to do it. Is your it, position there are no Russian troops in the in the Donbas region? I mean, that's that, I haven't heard that one I before. I, as, as, as far as I am informed, uh, the uh, military detachments of Donbass and, Lon and Lugansk republics are pushing from their side, and the Russian units are pushing from uh, Kharkov region and from uh, from the south. So not from so, the, not, so. Do you believe yeah. that we are set for a long and protracted military confrontation, according to what you've said about there not being a diplomatic solution? I don't know. Frankly, I don't have a crystal ball uh, to predict such things. Uh, but uh, well, it depends on uh, you know what you know what if uh, you, if if the conflict in, in Ukraine is uh, is, is uh, tried to be stopped by pouring the gas into the fire uh, by the Western countries, of course, and it can be protracted for some time. But it wouldn't change uh, the whole pace of the conflict. It wouldn't prevent. Uh, prevent Russia to uh, to to, uh, to reach the objectives that we put forward. And the, the moment Ukraine acknowledges the fact that uh, it, it has to make concessions, uh, it has to denazify, it has to demilitarize, it has to acknowledge the fact that the uh, people in the east of Ukraine also have the right to live the the lives that they want, then the, the war will stop. Uh, the military operation will stop. Yeah. Let's zoom out if we can. Uh, please, and, and, and look at the effect on the wider region, because if the objective was to increase the security of Russia, um, it feels like the net effect of this whole last few months has been to strengthen the alliance against Russia. And now the latest news is that Sweden and Finland are also thinking of joining NATO. And actually today, a um, bilateral security guarantee was signed between the UK and Sweden, what is your comment on, on that? And, and how will Russia react to the Sweden and Finland joining NATO? It's up to... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Finns and Swedes to decide the way they secure their uh, their military uh, capacities, whatever. They know that the moment they become uh, members of the NATO, it will imply certain uh, mirror moves on the Russian side, uh, which uh, usually affects uh, NATO member states. So uh, somehow for... It means that uh, if there are NATO detachments in this territory, so this territory uh, would become a target, uh, a possible target for for a strike, in the same way that Russian territory becomes a possible target of a strike the moment uh, the NATO detachments are in, uh, introduced in, in, the, in the neighboring areas. So this you, would is very move, clear. Mil- you would move detachments to lap the borders or pl- places the sea outside Again, Sweden? I, or what, what does I'm that not, mean? I'm not a mil- I'm not a military man, but I know that NATO is is a, is a very unfriendly uh, block to us. Uh, this is an enemy, and the NATO itself uh, admitted that Russia is an enemy. It means that uh, Finland and uh, Sweden, all of a sudden, in, instead of neutral countries, become part of the enemy, and uh, well, they all they bear all the risks uh, as everybody. So they would bear certain defense risks, of course, uh, they would bear certain economic costs, but it's up to them to decide. Uh, it's up to their population to decide. Uh, they were living uh, normally as good neighbors with us for tens of years. If they suddenly choose to become part of the uh, very uh, unfriendly block, uh, well, it's it's up to them. But of course, we will have uh, certain uh, moves. Uh, we have to take the certain military Clearly, moves. they are making that decision in response to what they perceive as Russian aggression in Ukraine. And that's why this has happened. It's not a coincidence that they want to join NATO two months after the invasion of Ukraine. So so in effect, that's a result of Russian actions, isn't it? Oh, I think we can look from uh, at it uh, from different angle because they are doing it uh, because of the uh, many years uh, campaign by NATO countries against Russia, uh, the very unfriendly campaign. Uh, the uh, uh, the proxy war that NATO is uh, conducting in, in Ukraine. So I think that what this was uh, not the uh, the prize uh, or the target of NATO today to get these two countries into NATO, but this was a long-term invitation that was standing there. And uh, I remember even before that, uh, a lot of uh, there were a lot of invitations for these two countries to join NATO for different reasons. But I don't think it will be really a blow to to the security of Russia because these two states uh, would become uh, would become members of NATO. Uh, hopefully they won't. But if they do it, it would be the worst solution for them, but not for Russia. Russia is ready to face NATO threat. Uh, Russia has uh, made necessary precautions for this. It doesn't change very much the security situation in Europe, which is uh, which is dominated and aggravated by by NATO threat to Russia for many, many years. So let me ask about that, that big picture security threat. Um, something obviously that everyone is very frightened of and worried about is the possibility of a nuclear escalation. Under what circumstances would Russia feel justified in launching a nuclear attack anywhere? Uh, again, I'm not a military man. It's not up to me to make such a conclusion. But I think that if you if you deal with a with a nuclear state, if you threaten a military state, you should count on all the options they are on the table. 
do you believe that any of the, of the criteria, because I heard some talk from Russian sources that some of the criteria that is internally used to justify a nuclear strike have already been reached by your own definitions. If you, it's an attack on Russian soil, if you call some of these areas Russian soil, do you sign up to that from a sort of diplomatic I point of heard, view? I haven't heard uh, such assessment. Frankly, I'm a diplomat and I'm not dealing with the uh, decision-making circles on, on the uh, implementation of uh, nuclear strategy, but I can, again, I can tell you that, yes, we possess nuclear weapons. Yes, if there is an existential threat to Russia, then I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that uh, we can use nuclear weapons. Is if that it's the definition, that it needs to be an existential threat to Russia? Yeah, but I'm not the one who would define what is an existential threat. Uh, so Who is? But who, who, does, who, who makes that definition? People who get salary for resolution of military issues. I'm getting my my payroll for diplomatic issues, so I'm not the right person to be asked about it. But, but so I understand if if the president now. Putin decides that an existential threat is now underway. I, I mean, he's used language which is not very far from that. Would he, according to your own internal rubric, be justified in launching a nuclear strike? Well, he's a commander-in-chief, of course, he's this, he has all the possibilities to decide, so with uh, the commanders of uh, Ministry of Defense. Uh, again, if you are threatening a nuclear power, I, I think you should uh, calculate all the risks, that's very easy. Do you know anything about the sequence of command or, or what the internal protocol is for this, for such a strike? Because it's something that obviously people are very anxious about? Is it simply that if Mr. Putin decides, wakes up one day and decides to launch a nuclear strike, he can? Or does he require the agreement of a certain number of senior officials? Or what's, what actually would happen? I'm absolutely not aware of the protocol again. This is much beyond my payroll. But I can tell you that if Britain is threatening Russia every day, if Britain is supplying arms, if British, British military leadership is saying uh, that it is legitimate for Ukraine to use British weapons to strike uh, infrastructure on Russian territory itself, and there were such statements. I can imagine that uh, British uh, citizens and British uh, taxpayers uh, can be worried about the possibility of the aggravation of this war, because this is absolutely reckless, uh, what's, what Britain is doing. But I'm, I'm, far, I'm far from... Are you I'm worried about it? it? Do, you, do you think the nuclear possibility a... is a serious possibility, and is that something you worry a... about? I'm not a British taxpayer, so that's why I shouldn't be worried. I'm not threatening Russia. Britain is threatening Russia, not vice versa. I'm asking so, how likely you think a nuclear outcome is. Is it a, an edge case possibility that we we shouldn't spend no, too much time let's about? Not, let's not go to hypothetical scenarios. Uh, we have what we have. Uh, so far, NATO directly is not involved, uh, and I think that was formulated by the president uh, as a criteria that uh, anybody who would try to interfere, would get uh, an adequate response. Uh, so far, NATO is, wa is waging very active, but still proxy war. And I think we have military means to cope uh, this uh, threat uh, quite effectively. But I don't know what will go afterwards. What I, what I can tell you for sure is that the uh, political relations between, uh, between Russia and the UK are spoiled for, for ages to come because of such uh, reckless behavior of the British government. That's, that's for sure. It has nothing to do with nuclear war, but it has uh, it has uh, a lot to do with the normal uh, norms of uh, human behavior. Let me ask you to conclude, if I could. Zooming out, 
your, your supposed objective was greater peace and security. It looks to any outsider like the net effect for Russia is economic isolation, a very much strengthened league and alliance against you with increased military activity on your border. In what sense huge losses uh, of, of, of young men's lives and, and others in what sense can this be deemed to have been a successful operation? I think everything that you said uh, is uh, wishful thinking. Because you, if you speak about economic isolation, I don't think Russia, Russia is isolated. First of all, we were isolated for quite a lot, a lot of uh, time. And the sanctions is not something that happened yesterday. They happened quite some time ago. We were ready for these sanctions. Uh, our economy feels quite okay. We have uh, alternative markets for our products. Uh, we have uh, managed to make uh, a lot of things ourselves, which we were not able to, to do uh, several years ago. Uh, the Russian ruble is very stable right now, despite all the predictions. Uh, the population is quite calm. Uh, the unemployment rates uh, are okay. So I don't know what, I, what do you mean by uh, economic uh, problems for Russia. As for Consolidation of the West, uh, wasn't it consolidated before? Uh, I, I think that if we speak about the West, it's only United States and the countries that would, the countries that would come to its heel uh, when Washington whistles. So like UK, like the others. So I think Washington whistled and the countries came to its heels. And if uh, Finland and Sweden is among them, I don't think it, it matters very much in the whole formula. The main, the main boss, uh, the main, uh, I would say, Ruler is the United States. We wanted negotiations with the United States on security guarantees in Europe. The uh, United States rejected these negotiations, said that it is not uh, a question that they want to discuss. So the West, the West was consolidated. A lot of countries, of course, uh, lost, uh, lost their head, I understand. A lot of countries uh, decided to promote Russophobia and hatred, including United, United Kingdom, including Poland, including Baltic states. But... Uh, it's, it's bad for these countries, not for Russia. So what, what are the effects? The loss of human lives? Yes, it's important, but there were, and every, every, every life of loss, uh, loss of life is a tragedy. But uh, you shouldn't forget that there were tens of thousands of casualties daily from shellings of Ukrainian forces in Donbass that you don't, didn't want to, to see. That was the war that you preferred not to notice. We had to stop this war. If, we, if you didn't... If you didn't notice, it didn't mean that it wasn't there. So you're still so, you're still saying then you're to the world that this has been a yeah. success. This this operation has has every, gone to plan. Every military every military operation is not a success because every, every for me as a as a as a diplomat, uh, every shot is of course a bad thing. But sometimes there are there are solutions uh, that uh, but they, which are taken because there is no other solution because it came. To, to the moment uh, when uh, we uh, exhausted all other means, all, all diplomatic means, uh, we proposed many times for the West to pressure Ukraine to implement uh, uh, Minsk agreements, which were the only framework for diplomatic solution. The West rejected it. The West was saying that it was Russia that doesn't implement Minsk agreements, though we were not even part of this agreement. So it was hypocrisy. And at some point, uh, people in people in the east of Ukraine, uh, they just lost conscience and they said that, well, come on, eight years already. The West doesn't doesn't acknowledge that we exist. The West doesn't acknowledge that children are being killed there on daily basis. Uh, so what who would save us? Uh, it's your hypocrisy that brought all this to this point. We have some 
five minutes and you you promised about denazification. Ah, but you okay. If you're issue. okay, if then you're, if you're keen you, yeah. to, let's get into that as our final topic then, Mr. Yeah. Polyansky, because this is something you 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 like to talk about, and I, I noticed you spoke about it on British TV. Um, th this is the second part of the original rationale, which is demilitarization and denazification. Give me the Give me the line. Tell, 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 okay. tell our viewers what okay. your, your argument is and I will then okay. ask a question. Uh, thank you. I, I will just uh, say that um, uh, for, for many years the West uh, was not uh, try, trying to not to notice that there was Nazism uh, which was uh, cultivated in, in Ukraine. It was uh, direct Nazism, sometimes, sometimes indirect Nazism. Uh, if you want to learn the facts and uh, the uh, Twitter page of, uh, for example, Edward Dalinsky, who is the head of Jewish uh, Jewish Society of Ukraine, who was on daily basis publishing uh, the information about uh, about the honoring of uh, Nazi criminals who were participating in Holocaust and who were uh, who had blood on their hands, who now become the heroes of Ukraine. You know that uh, Bandera and, and Shukhevich, uh, who were the leaders of Ukrainian nationalists, are being worshipped by uh, by the Ukraine by the Ukrainian leaders, including President Zelensky. So the argument that was that is usually floated is, can can President Zelensky be a Nazi when uh, when he is a Jew? I would say that uh, if a man uh, uh, speaks like a Nazi, if the man worships uh, Nazi uh, Nazi heroes, if the man worships Nazi collaborators, if the man displays on the 8th of March. On his official page in in, uh, in uh, Instagram, a picture of a person. You know the story. I told uh, I told Sky News, Sky News about this when they stopped. Uh, uh, said that we are ever enough. The trouble is, uh, Mr. Polyansky, I don't yeah. I don't think this is the kind of slam dunk that you think it is, uh, because we have run stories on this very fairly, uh, looking at the fact that there are um, some uh, units within Ukraine that do have neo-Nazi tendencies. That's not especially controversial or, frankly, especially interesting because there are Nazi components in all sorts of countries and you can both acknowledge that and totally reject the idea that that is a pretext it's to not, invade it's another not, country. It's not, a, it's not a fair parallel. I would say that if, for example, Boris Johnson would say that, uh, I don't know, Goebbels or Hitler is a national hero of the United Kingdom, I think there would be a certain, uh, certain reaction to this. Uh, Bandera well, and no one's going to invade anyone if he says that. If 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 yeah, but, if Sweden has say... if Sweden starts having neo-Nazi components, which by the way they have had in the past, Norway is not going to invade and say we need to denazify Sweden. The the logic doesn't doesn't pass muster. But uh, but do you agree that if uh, if Boris Johnson declares uh, Adolf Hitler a national hero of uh, of UK, at least we would we could say that there there is a nice, there there is a Nazi component in Ukraine in in UK. If you say that uh, Hitler is a hero, uh, then I've already we'll acknowledged there are Nazis I've, in the leadership. Lots of people acknowledge there are Nazi components in within certain battalions and military units in Ukraine, and that doesn't add up to a justification to invade and that's the that's the thing you can talk about nazifying all but you that like was but that was not but that was not the main objective uh, okay, the main well, objective but you're as talking I told about you, it a lot you bringing peace to donbass uh, okay so, so you have lots you seem to have one lots of the objectives because we think we think it's blasphemous we think it's a sacrilege to have to have nazi leaders in the neighboring country to have the population study these uh, people 
that's uh, so at if, school and to have uh, to have them so, uh, so if it's not reply. the main objective why talk about it so much so much so that you wanted to bring it back onto the agenda of this interview uh, because I, w I want to speak about it too much because uh, the British public uh, should know about this and they, they should know about the fact that the uh, NATO insignia that uh, people would see on uh, Ukrainian uniform very very often on the nationalist uniform uh, also relates to this to the story when uh, when British citizens were killed and it means that when UK supports President Zelensky and he displays such symbols at the Victory Day and he congratulates the world with the defeat of the Nazis with such symbols, it means that he is laughing at the whole world and it means that uh, he kind of uh, challenges the uh, British society saying that it's, it, there is no problem guys that they killed 100 of your countrymen. We still worship these people. Mr. Polyansky, I, I, I know what you're trying to get out there. I'm afraid I think if the British people listen to this and some of them probably will, they will still conclude that what they're seeing which is vast numbers of military invading and civilians dying and whole cities being shelled to destruction is almost completely irrelevant from talk of Nazi components. It's, it, they are the not equivalent is, and it doesn't excuse the it. The problem is that, that British people don't, don't know the truth. Uh, they really don't see, they have the no, don't, don't have the true information for what's happening. I mentioned to you the war that Ukraine was waging about Donbass. Nobody knew about this. There was another story, if I may, if I have two minutes, uh, I would like to refer to it. I, I'm, I see that you're sick and tired of me, but still. Well, we, we're running finished. out of time, but, but you Just go a ahead. minute. Uh, there, was a, there was also a story when, uh, when Reuters was covering the evacuation from Mariupol, and they were interviewing a lady, uh, and this lady, she was very vocal, Natalia Usmanova. She was interviewed by many other uh, people around. So the picture that Reuters uh, showed about this was uh, that this, this lady was uh, frightened by Russian soldiers, that she, she had a very terrible situation that's in come the out. This is, I'm sorry to say, Ms. Polyansky, this is old news. This is old news. Uh, no, it's this not has old been news widely because... covered many weeks ago. Okay, but and it's uh, not, I, for, those, we were talking for, those about... your, for those of your viewers who want to learn the truth, I will show the QR code. <laughs> this is, this is my Twitter about... page. Mr. And Polyansky, please, uh, you, are, you, you won't get this news elsewhere because a, of the censorship a, that you have in the British press. So you're if you go there, you will see the difference between the coverage, uh, the coverage of uh, you're the You're a senior representative of Russia at the United Nations, and we're talking about war and death and tens of thousands of people, and you are wanting to put up QR codes about some story from five weeks ago. It's not it's, five weeks it's ago. It's, uh, it's less than a, it's less than a week ago, and this story shows how uh, Reuters censors information about what happened in Mariupol. The way that the British okay. press censors all the information about this conflict, the way it censored the information about the war that we happened are, there for we years. are part of the British That's press, why you're ask, you're and we are sincerely trying to get to the truth, displaying sir. and displaying so, absolute ignorance about what was happening there. Okay. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying that uh, people in in Britain are absolutely ignorant about and what the was people there. of That's Russia. By contrast, you're telling us the are people enlightened Russia, and have access to all the information. We have enlightened, absolutely, oh, right. because we have, the, we have it not from news, but from those people who were refugees in Donbass for eight years. So the, I, the I Russian media I, I shall, is doing an excellent shall, job of providing all the information to its I people. I sheltered a family of uh, refugees in my own house, so I knew, know about this. Okay. Uh, my own eyes and not from, from news, uh, from, uh, from your news sources. Mr. Polyansky, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yes, yes, thank you. Stay ignorant as you are. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Okay, well, that was Dmitry Polyansky, a senior diplomat from Russia, a member of the Russian delegation at the United Nations, talking to us from New York, and a spokesman from the Russian government. It was at times an exasperating conversation, at times almost eerie feeling. We are, after all, at a time of war, and I've just been having a long conversation with someone that most people in the West, at least, would consider the enemy. Well, you will have noticed you don't see people like him very much in the Western media. You don't see representatives from the Russian government making their case. The reason for this is that the current trend is that to platform people like him is to give airtime to their lies and propaganda, and it's simply doing Vladimir Putin a service. Well, at Unheard, we don't believe in de-platforming as a concept. We think we can get better information, we can get closer to understanding and truth by listening, challenging, and talking, even if the person on the other side is pushing lines from a malevolent regime. I'd rather know what those lines are. It was at times a difficult conversation, but I hope that through all the spin and the talking points, we at least leave with a better sense of how the Russian government is thinking internally. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.